Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie, and we are the Art History Babes. This is an Art History Babe Brief on China's Forbidden City. Before we get into all that, we got a few announcements to make. First off, FYI, everyone, we will no longer be posting our podcast on SoundCloud. So if that is where you typically listen to us, I hate to break it to you. You're going to have to listen to us somewhere else. (laughs) You can find us on every other podcast provider. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, on our website at arthistorybabes.com. You've got a lot of options. We're not leaving you high and dry here. If SoundCloud is your preferred podcast provider. We apologize, but it is it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense for us anymore. So we won't be on there. Also, fun thing to announce. The Art History Babes are going to New York City and we want you to come with us. Woo-hoo. We want you to join. Join us for a 5-day party in New York City. <laughs> We will be in New York City over winter break, December 18th through the 23rd. So if you are a student or an educator, hopefully you'll have some free time around then. We're going to be doing just like an art history babes art trip. And how it's going to work is we are working with a lovely travel company that is putting together a package of all kinds of fun activities as well as lodging. And then if you decide to join the trip, you will purchase that package. You're going to meet us in New York City. We're all going to stay in the same hotel. Sleepover. Yeah, we're going to have a big sleepover. We're going to drink wine and eat good food and check out art museums and do some fun like underground New York City art activities. We're going to hit all the big ones, the Met and the MoMA. We're going to go to Brooklyn. We're going to just do a lot of fun things. So if that sounds interesting to you, head to likemindstravel.com. Enter your info. You can just go. There's an Art History Babes tab. You can go to that. You can punch in your email address and you'll basically get updates on the trip. Once the package is all put together and we have an exact cost and everything, you will be the first to know. Make sure to head to likemindstravel.com so we can hang out in New York City around the winter holiday because that just sounds lovely. I mean, it really does. And that's coming from someone who's never been to New York City. So if you want to see me see New York City for the first time, (laughs) this is the trip for you. See Nat, see New York. (laughs) That's our hashtag for the trip. Yeah, that's a good one. It should be a really fun time. I'm super stoked on it. And I'm super stoked for the opportunity to be able to hang out with some of you amazing listeners who have been kind of with us throughout this whole journey. We can all hang out. It'll be like art history camp, basically. (laughs) Which is all we've dreamed about doing since we started this project. Yeah, it'll be fun. So definitely look into it. Like mindstravel.com. We'll leave a link down below for you. And last announcement. Last announcement. I want to talk to you guys about soap. One of our favorite topics. Particularly soap by Trinova. Trinova is a Chicago-based family-owned company 
owned by friend of the art history babes, Steve Wimmer. They make green plant-based natural soaps. Their products are made in the U.S. They're really high quality, good for the environment, or at least better for the environment. (laughs) Yeah. There is a whole line of all different kinds of cleaning products, whatever your cleaning needs may be. If you're not big into soap, I got some leather cleaner and that's been great. I've cleaned some leather boots with their leather cleaner and then conditioned them. And I got to say, they looked uh, pretty good. Pretty snazzy. And then they also have your basic, like your multi-purpose cleaner, your dish cleaner. Soap. (laughs) Trinova, they got soap. (laughs) So definitely check them out. If you use the code HISTORYBABES, you get 20% off your entire Trinova purchase. Head over to Amazon.com slash Trinova. That's T-R-I-N-O-V-A. Use the code HISTORYBABES, H-I-S-T-O-R-Y-B-A-B-E-S, to get 20% off your soap. Such a great deal, guys. Okay, now is it time for the Forbidden City. Not of the serious business. The Forbidden City can be found in Beijing, China, north of Tiananmen Square. It was the imperial palace and political epicenter of China during the Ming and Qin dynasties, which spanned from 1368 until 1911. The Forbidden City was built to house the imperial family as well as the emperor's many, many consorts and concubines. Commoners were once forbidden from entering the city, hence the name, but today the palace complex is commonly called Gugong, which means former palace. And you can walk through parts of it. So after a series of violent rebellions, the Qin dynasty collapsed in 1911 and the last emperor, six-year-old Pu Yi, abdicated the throne. In 1925, the palace complex was declared a palace museum by the state and the Forbidden City was named a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1987. I also just want to repeat what Natalie just said there, that the last emperor was six years old. (laughs) Six people. (laughs) I want to make sure you got that. Kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was he was six years old. I can't even imagine what that existence must have been like. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Like you're six, you're the son of the heavens. Um what do you want to do about this? Like there have been a lot of violent uprisings. Uh what do you think, Pooh? What do you think about it? And he's just like, Can I have my Cheerios, please? Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. If I was an emperor at the age of six, the entire palace complex would be covered in like Lisa Frank stickers. Like <laughs> <laughs> out with dragons, in with rainbow tigers. <laughs> Absolutely wild. Let's talk about an earlier emperor. Zhu Di was the third emperor of the Ming Dynasty. Zhu Di's father was the founder of the Ming Dynasty. And then Zhu Di was the fourth son of the founder of the Ming Dynasty. In 1402, Zhu Di had to overthrow the current emperor, who happened to be his nephew. That sounds pretty standard, dethroning your nephew. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that happened all over the world. For real. Yeah. So in 1402, Zhu Di overthrew the current emperor of the time who happened to be his nephew and then he was proclaimed emperor he adopted the name yongle which means perpetual happiness but also like who gives himself a nickname (laughs) like let's just call it out (laughs) and he is also referred to as the yongle emperor he reigned from 1402 to 1424 
During the beginning of his reign, the city of Nanjing was the capital of China. During this time, the Mongols were trying real hard to get past the Great Wall. So Zhu Di basically just fled to Beijing and was like, hey, this is the capital now. He proceeded to tear down Kublai Khan's old palace, and he made a mountain out of the rubble that overlooked his new palace, the Forbidden City. I mean, that's pretty bad. Like, that's so baller. That's so baller. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty like steeped in toxic masculinity. But I gotta say, like, wow, I'm impressed. Right? Like, I'm gonna build my own city. Also, you see that mountain? That was the last guy's city. And like, Kublai Khan's famous for like tough, scary, and so like he made this guy's palace. A dirt pile. I know. <laughs> near his palace. <laughs> I know. That must look over his palace for all of time. That's long game stuff right there, and I'm really into it. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk more about the details of the construction of the Forbidden City. We have returned from our commercial break. We hope you enjoyed that message from our sponsors. Support our sponsors, guys, because they support us. And yeah. That's enough reason. <laughs> All right. Construction of the Forbidden City. Construction of the Forbidden City was started in 1405 and finished in 1420. Approximately 230,000 artisans and millions of laborers worked to build the palace complex. The complex is 961 meters in length and 753 meters in width to help you visualize. That's more than 100 regulation soccer fields. Yep. Now I've got a great visual. <laughs> <laughs> the World Cup's going on right now. And then like think that times 100. Easy. The complex composed of more than 90 palace compounds and 980 buildings is the biggest complex in the world. It is surrounded by a moat that is 52 meters wide. And as we all know, you best not mess with anything that is surrounded by a moat. Mm -mm. Is that an old adage, as the old adage says? Yeah, I think verbatim. Do not mess with anything surrounded by a <laughs> moat. It is a glaring mm -hmm. do not enter sign that moat's going to get you. Yeah. If you try to cross a moat, you got what's coming to you. <laughs> I, I like that better. I think that should be the <laughs> adage. <laughs> All right. So the architectural layout of the Forbidden City was designed to adhere to the ideal cosmic order presented in Confucian ideology. Chinese social structure was also formed according to this ideology. Therefore, it was used similarly within the micro city of the palace. The architecture was designed in accordance with the Treatise on Architectural Methods or State Building Standards, which was an 11th century manual that laid out the proper design for buildings with regard to hierarchy of Chinese social structure. Love that hierarchy. Mm -hmm. The activities, ceremonies, rituals, and living quarters of the palace's inhabitants were organized around the individual's position within the imperial family. So the higher up in the ranks you were, the more space and servants you received, as well as higher quality and quantity of food and entertainment. So they were really meticulous, guys, about how they would calculate out how much food someone was getting based on their rank. It was very exact. I was kind of shocked by that. It was a very specific system. And just seemed like it would provide a lot of waste. 
because you know that not everyone of a higher status is going to be eating more. That's a good point. I did not think about that. But yeah, I wonder. I've been super fixated on waste lately because our world is burning. and We're running out of resources. So it's very on the top of my brain. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, when you think about it, I guess it isn't much different than now. You know, there are certain people with a lot more resources and a lot more waste. And Mm -hmm. oh man, we're going to get into a whole discussion about income inequality. We should probably just keep (laughs) going. (laughs) All right. Everything within the palace holds symbolic meaning. The exact location of the main buildings, the colors chosen for roofs, walls, and detailing, and the specific numbers used for design elements. So this goes back to what you were just saying. Like everything Mm -hmm. was part of this very exact, very specific system. It all had a purpose in this greater hierarchical system that was attached to Confucian ideology. Animal statues on the roof guarded against fires and evil spirits. Think gargoyles, like it's kind of the same thing. Fires were a major concern. As the highest point in Beijing, the palace was at high risk of being struck by lightning during storms. I think the highest point was the Hall of Harmonies. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, whichever building was the highest point, I think it burnt down five separate times. Whoa. Yeah, because this was before lightning conductors. So the tallest building in an area would get struck. That's such a, I mean, just like imagine that, imagine that imagery, the tallest building, the beacon of the palace complex, the imperial palace, like being hit by lightning. Yeah. And then burning to the ground because it was back when something caught on fire. I mean, it was probably going to burn to the ground. It was game over. Yeah. Like think about modern day advances with fighting fires. Like we've a lot going on with hoses and tons of water and like planes none of that guys a lot going on with with those hoses <laughs> we know all about that in california and they didn't have any of that in Qin dynasty china and that's something i'd be interested in researching like what were ancient firefighting techniques like hmm. Ooh, yeah we should look into it because i'm sure china was on to s- something like they were trying to solve that problem they were just leaving it all up to the gargoyles <laughs> the gargoyles were doing a lot <laughs> they got it they'll take care of it <laughs> put little fire hats on them yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> that's cute all right so the forbidden city was considered the center of the earth like was very common with historic civilizations, the ruler was likened to a god. The Chinese emperor was considered the son of heaven. Legend has it the palace complex was constructed with a total of 9,999 rooms, which I was a little confused as to why this is considered a legend because can't someone just count the rooms? (laughs) Corey, Corey, that's so many rooms. (laughs) Like, in theory, yeah, but do you want to do that? I don't. Will someone pay me? Like, <laughs> that's true. pay me. I will count those rooms. What happens when you lose count? I mean, that's tough. I mean, it is. It's a lot of rooms. <laughs> but I, I feel like this is a legend that we could prove. But yeah, it doesn't need to be a legend. I'm with you. Going back to the legend of it. This is because according to the spiritual beliefs of the time, God lived or the God figure lived in a heavenly palace of 10,000 rooms. So the Chinese emperor 
emperor was the son of heaven and then their god figure lived in this heavenly palace of 10,000 rooms and the son should not outdo the father. So the son lives in a palace of 9,999 rooms. Hierarchy. Woo! <laughs> Numbers. Hierarchy. Yes. Maybe it's like 9,998 and that's why it's still legend because they don't <laughs> want to admit that there's like one less room. Or there's like one secret room or something. Ooh. Like there's like a mysterious hidden Bad room. sign. Bad sign. <laughs> It's important to remember that while the palace complex was like a luxury hotel adorned with beautiful art and filled with gardens, the Forbidden City was essentially a vast, beautiful golden cage, especially for the women living there. Those that lived in the Forbidden City were rarely permitted to leave once they entered. More so, once the emperor died, his concubines were banished to live in this particular place, I do not know what it's called, for widows and it was supposedly even less fun than the uh, caged palace life. So you have that to look forward to. Yeah, that's rough. The Forbidden City is now defined as a modern museum and a historical site. It's currently open to the public and receives roughly 8 million visitors a year. However, only a small part of the complex is accessible to visitors. If you would like to learn or see more of the complex, there is a really great National Geographic documentary available on YouTube, and it garners you special access to the complex. They got to go in for some sort of anniversary and videotape it. I love the narrator in that documentary. She's fantastic and has this like very monotone speech, which I love because, you know, my voice <laughs> there's one part where she's describing an emperor and she says something and she's like and he was a megalomaniac and i <laughs> i love it so much and she's like describing him like casually before and just drops it at the end and a megalomaniac yeah no it's a really good documentary i really enjoyed it so yeah if the forbidden city is interesting to you, you should definitely check that out there's also a lot of like travel vlogs on YouTube of people who have traveled to the Forbidden City. There's one I watched where the guy is kind of the exact opposite of that uh, documentarian. He is very high energy and very stoked to be at the Forbidden <laughs> City. And so if that's more your vibe, you can check that out as well. You know how YouTube works, guys. There's stuff for everybody. <laughs> And then there's also a really good, really informational, like 15 minute video that details the daily life of an imperial concubine. And it's super informative, just really well researched. I know. I was watching it and I was like, how do they know this stuff? Like, where did they get this information? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very well done and gives you just like a full picture of what it was like to be a consort or a concubine of the imperial palace yeah which was not black and white like there were parts of that video where i was like "Ooh, that doesn't sound fun but then the hosts were quick to point out that civilian life wasn't necessarily a walk in the park so exactly. you kind of have to weigh <laughs> the options and i think for some of these concubines it maybe wasn't so bad yeah they got puppies and you know when puyi came in he was sick so he's like up the puppies. Let's <laughs> triple the puppies, people. Puppies for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting thing because in thinking about being the concubine to a megalomaniac emperor, you can pick that apart from a feminist perspective really quick and understand why that's 
problematic and hard. And yeah, I don't want to. We're not trying to minimize that in any way. You know, you also have to think about what was going on. When you have a hierarchy like that, you're going to have a lot of issues, just like psychological issues with jealousy and things like infighting between these very large Mm -hmm. groups of women like that's going to happen. Internalized misogyny. Exactly. Like there's a lot going on there and we could analyze that all day. I think I was reading through maybe a YouTube comment or something where someone was for good reason was pointing out all the reasons why being an imperial consort was not awesome. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like being a commoner at this time was very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe you did have your freedom, but, you know, it was just kind of getting through life in a lot of ways and lots of hard labor and things like that. Whereas if you were living in this giant imperial palace, yeah, you had gardens, you had a lot of, other people and women to play games with you had puppies you were being fed and it depends too because they had said that like one emperor was noted to have like more than 50 concubines and then another one had like two so it varied obviously different emperors are different people they're going to have different ideas of how things should be and different temperaments so like civilian life, I think life as a concubine kind of mirrored that where it could be probably pretty great for some people and pretty awful for others. And it just was kind of a whole gamut of experiences. Yeah. And it goes without saying that that whole system is horribly steeped in patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we we understand all the un- underlying issues. I hope everyone understands the underlying issues with that set up but as historians we're talking about a point in history it happened this is how it happened we're just talking about it kind of yeah in that framework yeah exactly and i think yeah i think it's really important to understand that it was not black and white and that yeah in some ways some of these women probably led pretty nice lives and that is a thing you know it just it just speaks to the complicated nature of history and Mm -hmm. um, stuff like this, like it's never black and white. And speaking from a 21st century perspective, of course it's not a lifestyle that I would want, but I have no idea what it was like to live during the Ming and Jing dynasties. You know, Mm -hmm. if we could have been a rich independent lady in the Qin dynasty living out somewhere on our own we would have yeah I don't think that existed we don't know that those women existed so until proof that they did I hope there was some just like badass like independent lady in the mountains somewhere that got out oh I'm sure did it I hope there was a whole community of them I know and they and that they had gardens and puppies and played games and had freedom that's what Mm -hmm. I hope me too just fantasizing about it secret mountain lady town now oh that sounds so nice (laughs) doesn't it if someday we end up starting our own secret mountain lady town i would not be mad about that (laughs) if that is what my life has in store that sounds all right forbidden city yeah (laughs) that was it at least all we got on the forbidden city there's a lot more big guys biggest complex in the world did you catch that yeah there's there's plenty more out there but hopefully this kind of i mean i didn't know very much about it at all until we researched it so the more you know yeah exactly you don't know now you know forbidden city edition (laughs) All all right
Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. She got me, guys. Time to go now. Thank you for like. Yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Oh, man. We got to do another one. We got to pull it together. Let's talk about an earlier emperor of of China. Because <laughs> that's what we're talking about, China. If it isn't clear yet, we are talking about China. 